started with class. I have a, I've been planning a, whoops, that's not, there we go. I've been planning a Mother's Day gift for all of you. You may not know this, but I think it's going to be your favorite gift ever. In fact, you're going to love it so much, you're going to want it all the time. My Mother's Day gift for you is that we're going to get out earlier than normal. And you get to beat the Baptist, because we know that Mother's Day is the busiest day for restaurants. And so my goal is to get you out in time so you can get in line to Dickie's or wherever it is you may be going so you can celebrate Mother's Day. So we're kind of in the Old Testament, but how can you look at the Old Testament without looking at the New Testament, specifically when we're talking about Exodus chapter 20? What is in Exodus chapter 20? The, the Ten Commandments. And I'm not going to go as in-depth this week as I did last week. But last week, you know, we talked about one of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. And then Jesus upped the ante. He says, you have heard, do not murder. But I tell you, what? That anyone who hates his brother, you know, it's the same as murder. And so he's going con- to continue on that same vein. And I don't know if you've ever sat back and compared the two. Obviously, if you go back to almost nine years ago, we went into great depth as we, we looked at these uh, antithetical statements um, about this is what you've heard, but I tell you this. And, it, and Jesus is basically going to be pulling from Mount Sinai as he, give these, as he reiterates these commands in a different way. Honor your father and mother. He says, you shall not murder... And then he's t- then the very next one Moses says is do not commit adultery. And like, oh, I don't know if I really want to talk about this, especially on a Sunday morning, especially on Mother's Day. It's here, so we're not going to skip over it. Although I'll try to to go over it quickly enough that none of us walk away from this passage blushing too much. But as we have prior to, he says don't murder, and he says, well, you've heard that you don't murder, but I'm going to tell you. Don't hate your brother. Don't be angry. Don't hold a grudge. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And then the very next command seems pretty simple. Don't commit adultery. And for some of us, for many of us, we can say, check, I got that off the list. I don't have the problem. But again, Jesus is going to almost like double down. He's going to say, the issue is not adultery. The issue is that the lust that you have in your heart and what leads from, from a mental thought that is then played out uh, in a, a relationship and happens physically. Again, I don't want to go into great de- detail. This is embarrassing to me as it is probably to you. But this is a reality. And you are humans living in this world. And a, a world that has infiltrated our lives and and things are accessible and available to us on a level that was never imagined. And so what that allows us to do is well, we can pick up our phone and we can surf the net and we can go on um, Bible Hub or we can go on uh, any number of these Bible sites and we can look. But it also means that we have at our disposal some things that we shouldn't be looking at. And this is a really, really big problem. Really big problem. About 10 years ago, there's some people, non-religious, 
They weren't associated. This wasn't about a spiritual study. They just wanted to say, hey, what are the effects that pornography is having on this younger generation? Because they have access to it that, that is unprecedented. They can, they can uh, view a website on their phone from almost anywhere at any time. It's just right there and it's available to them. Like, how is that affecting them? And so some of you may remember we talked about this several years ago, but they had this they wanted to find out, okay, how how is the brain developing? What's the difference between um, a, a young man has been accessing uh, porn pornography for for a while and then the ones who haven't? We're going to have the study and we're going to compare the two. They canceled the study. You know why they canceled the study? Because they couldn't find enough college students who weren't actively watching pornography on a regular basis. They couldn't find a standard in which to go by to say, this is not right. Now, again, if we can just step back from the religious, from the spiritual side, from I'm a Christian and I have these morals and I have these ethics, here's some do's and don'ts, and just say, from a very human perspective, people who care nothing about Christianity, but who are looking at the effects of pornography and they're saying, this is really, really bad. This is affecting marriages. This is affecting relationships. This is affecting all aspects of our life uh, because we have men and women who are struggling with pornography. And Jesus understood this 2,000 years ago. He's saying, listen, it's not just about this physical act. Y'all have this idea that, hey, if we don't commit adultery, we're good. And Jesus says, no, 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 what? Like, you shouldn't even look at a woman that way. And a lot of women say, oh, I'm good with that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And, and there's this assumption that, that it's only a, a male problem. And sadly, we have more studies that are showing, one, that's not really the case anymore. That more and more women are struggling with lust. And some of it is the lust of the, the eyes. And some of it is the, the lust of the mind. And, and they're lusting not, not over pictures, but over some of the books that they're reading and the material. And the way that they're finding, the way that women typically commit adultery begins very differently than a man does. When a man's going to be looking at things, women are going to be listening. And if you find yourselves, uh, women, in a relationship with a, a man and the conversations that you're having are not meant to be had between you and that person or that between you and anybody other than your husband, that's, that's adultery. Uh, and those happen. And sadly, it's, it's not just, we, we think of those websites that are XXX. Those are the ones, like sites like Facebook are the ones where people are getting reconnected. And they're developing or redeveloping relationships with people. And instead of uh, relying on and confiding to their spouse, they're going out and they're having a relationship with somebody outside of that. And they could say, well, it's completely 
uh, plutonic, like there's nothing going on, but there is. Uh, and Jesus understands this. And he's going to say something. You know, I, we talked about Jesus says some crazy things. I don't know that he says anything crazier than what he's about to say when he's uh, talking about adultery. He says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, what does he say? Gouge it out and throw it away. Okay, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if God hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. This is, this is not a nice little warning. Jesus is saying, hey, like I am really, really serious about this. And sadly, the numbers suggest that if people really, literally took the advice of Jesus, over half of the people in our society would either wear an eye patch or be called lefty. Now here's the really sad part about this. The statistics of people involved in pornography and lust and adultery outside of the church are just nearly identical inside the church. Some of you may be familiar with a, a parachurch, parachurch organization that started up several years ago. It was called uh, Promise Keepers. And they would have these conventions in which these men would come in and it was very uh, Bible-based and they would talk about helping make people accountable and, and uh, being concerned about you know, how you treat your spouse and in regards to um, adultery and pornography and all those things. They bring people together, men together, and talk about how important it is to be godly men, to be warriors of God, to stand up for our families and fight against that. And the hotels in which these conventions were being held loved to have these people in here because two things. One, it brought in a lot of people. Two, they made tons and tons and tons of money off revenue generated from the shows that were being rented in the TVs in the hotel rooms where those conventions were being held. The reality is, is that like we're not immune to this. That choosing to follow Jesus, that being baptized in Him, doesn't mean that like you don't have those issues. That we have to be men and women who are willing to fight to keep the sanctity of marriage. And parents, it's awkward and it's weird, but we have to have those conversations. And we have to set healthy boundaries for our kids. And say, here's what's going to happen, here's not what's going to happen. If your kids have a computer, you decide and determine where that computer is going to be turned on and where it's not. One of the things that we started off early on, before, we, before phones were an issue, we decided we were going to have one computer in the house. It was a desktop, and it was going to be in the family room 
so that anybody could walk in at any time and see this is what's, what's being watched. Um, and then we got phones and that threw everybody off. Because then we didn't get a good understanding of what could that phone really do. For me, you know, a, a cellular phone was like a device that you could use to make phone calls. Like, and as phones have evolved over the year, years, they're able to do things that we never thought they, they could do. And so we now have that. And so I just, I encourage you parents, um, you're called to guard your hearts as a parent. You're also called to guard the heart of your child. Because we have, we have marriages failing at an amazing rate. And a lot of it has to do that, that there are too many young men and young women who got involved in pornography. And by the time marriage came around, they were unable to be fulfilled by their spouse. And it led to lots and lots of issues. I partially apologize that this is a conversation that's being had in a church building on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day. But the fact is... Like, as mothers and fathers, it, it is our responsibility to be um, open about what our kids are going through. Like, I did not, like, we didn't have phones when I was a kid. That was not an issue. But our kids now have access to that, and we need to think about what are the ramifications of letting them have carte blanche with a device and have no accountability. Um, and so, we're not going to talk about it this morning. We have talked about this in the past. But there are different ways that you can do this to set up boundaries to say, I'm not going to allow this device at this time. You need to turn your phone in. Uh, you know, even just um, simple things like helping them understand that phones aren't always a part of us. And that when you sit down at a table, the phone goes in your pocket or your purse. Not on the table, flipped up, where you can read and scroll, like a way where you can't see it. And if you need to mute it or, you know, put it in a jar for a while, so be it. Um, but we need to start uh, thinking about healthy boundaries for our kids because if we just let them have access to whatever they want at an early age, it's um, we're yet to find out as a society the effects that this is going to have on our kids. But right now it's not looking real good. Uh, so Jesus understands that and he says, hey, listen, if it's going to cause you to sin, gouge out your eye. If it's going to cause you to sin, cut off your hand. This is blasphemous, but I'm going to say of it. If it causes you to sin, throw away your phone. Set healthy boundaries for, for you and your children uh, and your spouse. And, and find ways of saying, okay, as much as I love this, having this device and looking at it, I need to... Uh, because it just leads to, to more and more issues. Okay, so he's going to talk about murder. He's going to talk about adultery. And then the next thing he's going to say... As he's going to talk about stealing, but if we look at Matthew chapter um, 5, Jesus is going to step in and he's going to talk about divorce. And I just want to cover this really quickly and then we're going to move on because it's not talked about uh, in the Ten Commandments. It is talking, talked about in the law and for some reason we decided of all the, the issues that we have as humans, divorce, in, at least in the church, is like the worst ever. And I don't know why we decided that, but somewhere we got the idea that if you're divorced, you're the worst person ever, and you get to wear the scarlet letter for the rest of your life. And, and I can tell you stories, and you've heard of stories who people have, you know, they have a 
the spouse that cheated on him and, and ran out, and all of a sudden there's an elders meeting in which the, the man who is a, a victim is broken is set down and told, you're not allowed to pray, you're not allowed to serve communion, you know, you, you're not allowed to teach a Bible class, you are now a second class citizen. And that, that happens. And that is sad and disheartening and totally unbiblical. And so I don't want to spend any more time other than this to say, if that happened to you, I sincerely apologize. Because that is not talking about the grace that God has offered to all of us. Because all of my sins uh, aren't greater or worse or better than anybody else's. They're there too. Uh, and so for us to sit there and say, well, this one's a lot worse. Um, that doesn't count. And so... Uh, Jesus is going to continue on back with the, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is uh, do not... What's next after adultery? Does anybody remember? Don't, don't steal. Okay, and then he's going to say after that, what comes next? Don't give false testimony. Okay, and, and what he's going to talk about is, is oaths in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read this real quickly. He says, again... You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, uh, but keep your oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of God. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Um... I don't know, how many of you have read the, the book uh, 12 Rules of Life by Jordan B. Peterson? I know Brett has. Has anybody else? I mean, your first book you should always read is the Bible. <laughs> um, and there's some other books that go along with it, but I strongly encourage you um, to read 12 Rules of Life uh, by Jordan B. Peterson. It is a phenomenal book. Uh, if you're like me, I cheat, I don't read it, or I didn't read it, I listen to it. Uh, and it's not exactly a short book, uh, but if you listen to it on one and a half speed, which is still pretty digestible, uh, it is, is definitely worth the 12 or 15 hours that it's going to take to go through it. Um, so you can go to Audible and download it. Uh, it'll cost you about $15, I guess. Or you can go buy the book, um, go to the library and get it read it. Um, I, I listened to it once. Um, I'm going to go buy the book uh, and do what I rarely do um, is I'm going to now read it. Uh, and, and that gives me an opportunity to write. But he has one chapter uh, in his book uh, of his 12 rules. One of his 12 rules is um, always tell the truth, but at the very least, don't lie. <laughs> Okay, now can you guess the difference between that? What's the difference between telling the truth and not lying? Somebody give me an example of this. I've got to make sure you're awake. What's the difference between telling the truth and, and lying? Or, or not lying? Yes. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. So you're telling the truth, okay? Um, there, are, somewhere along the way, 
we've coined the phrase brutally honest. I don't think that's what Jesus is calling for. Okay? I don't think that like he says he what's what he wants you to do or what Jordan Peterson is suggesting that you do, that you walk in the room, it's Mother's Day, your your wife is wearing this this dress that she just bought. I don't think that the spirit of of this command is you look at your wife and say, you look hideous in that thing. Okay, are you telling the truth? By by your opinion, yes. Okay, but I I think that's taking it a little too far. If she asks, how do I look in this dress? What can you say without lying? I want you to know I love you no matter what. <laughs> you are beautiful no matter... I mean, you can find creative... I've never had to say that to my wife. I have the most beautiful wife and anything... She's, she's beautiful no matter what. So I've never had to lie about this. She's had to lie a lot of times about what I wear. And I'll come in and I'll say, you know, what do you think? And, and I don't think she's adopted brutally honest, but we've got to a point in our relationships where she'll say, yeah, no, you need to go change. Like, that just doesn't match. But what she doesn't know is that I picked out my own socks this morning. And, and so she didn't, get to, she didn't get to comment on those. But there are ways that we can be truthful. And I just, I want to encourage you. I know this sounds weird. But I just want to encourage you. Try your hardest to be as truthful as you can. Without, I'm not saying that you just tear people up. How many times do we say these little white lies every day? How many times do we find ways to lie because we want to get out of something? What would happen if we just chose to be truthful people and to stop lying? How do you think that might change our relationship? And sometimes it is appropriate to have some of those hard conversations. Okay? Sometimes it, it's important that Jennifer says, you know what, it really means a lot to me if you would make the bed. Like, I act like it's not a big deal, but it really is a big deal. I love walking into our bedroom and have a made bed. True story. And so we had that conversation. So now I've, I've learned how to make the bed and how to put all the 18 pillows in order so that they look just the way they're supposed to. So, but that had to come from a, a conversation where she was truthful and said, you want to know what? I really would like the bed to be made. And so now I know. I have to spend the extra few minutes to say, I'm, I want to get this ready and, and right. Yes, you do. And I love you. You're my hard-working woman. Yes. Um, so, yes, I, I don't mean yes. Yeah, I, I'm the last one to get out of bed on most mornings, and so except for the weekend. So I'm definitely, I, I'm very appreciative of that. She's my hard... <laughs> yeah. Scotty, come on, man. This is Mother's Day. You're not helping me here. <laughs> <laughs> so just I, I, I do want to be serious because I, I know I'm, I'm a minister and I'm supposed to know and do all these things but 
as I listen to, to Jordan Peterson talk about this, about the importance of just being truth tellers. It made me think, how many times have I said these little white lies just because ah, I, don't, I don't want to hurt their feelings, I just, you know, oh, I couldn't do it, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to, and honestly, instead of being honest, I decided I'd say, yeah, I'd make up some excuse. And Moses thought this was a big deal because God thought this was a big deal and Jesus thought this was a big deal. Like if you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. It was very simple for Jesus. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay, so let's continue on. I want to get to Exodus 21. And Raul knows why, but I want to try to finish these up first. Okay, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. And then he says, uh, don't covet. And I think this is a really big deal for us. I think it's an issue that, that many of us have and we don't always recognize it, is the desire for things that we want. Uh, and, and the big word that's been going around the last decade or so is this, this, this word entitled. We feel like we, we deserve something, right? Uh, and I instantly saw, if, if you're a teacher in class, I just saw your head go up and down. Because you know what it's like to have these kids who come in and they, they feel entitled, like they deserve this, uh, they've earned it. It's owed to them regardless of what they have or haven't done. This is mine, I want it. Uh, and, and so this is an issue we all have as, as babies. Okay, this, you were born with this. You were born with this desire to want everything. And if you didn't get what you wanted, you would cry about it and you would complain about it. Okay, whether it was food or uh, a clean diaper or to be burped, uh, to be held, that's, that's what babies do. Uh, and there is this, this hope and this expectation that people will grow out of this and some people do. A lot of it has to be they have to be taught that not everything revolves around them. And not to, to spend too much time talking about the older generation, but they did a little bit better job of that than, than what we've done. And I think it was, uh, Scotty, I don't see Terry here, but Terry would tell a story. She would talk about that when they would go to... Um, um, uh, dinners with the with the whole family, the extended family, that um, they literally did not have enough place settings for everybody at uh, that was eating, and so the adults would eat first, and then get this. Then when the adults were done, um, then the kids would get to use the plates that the adults had used to put food on there, right? And she jokingly said she always liked to use Uncle. You remember his name? One of our uncles, she always loved to use his plate because he would always sop up his plate with his bread. So it always looked clean. She's like, I always wanted that plate. And now today we are like, oh, I would never do that. I would never let my little baby have to go after that and have a dirty plate. And we put our little kids first. And in our desire to honor them and want to put them first, sometimes they get shoved so far up in front that they get the idea that everything revolves around them. 
And that seems all well and good when you're in a group of four or five or six people. It becomes really difficult when they enter into a classroom of 20 people and every one of them thinks that every, the, everybody else revolves around them. And then you have all these issues because these kids are demanding and crying for attention and it continues on and on and escalates. And if nobody teaches them, you're not the center of attention. They're going to start believing that every time a parent makes a sacrifice to get them to a, a baseball game or something, all of a sudden they start thinking more and more, this is all about me, this is all about me. And if they're not taught humility and they're not taught about all the wonderful things that sports can give us about teamwork and sacrifice, if it becomes, it's all about me, then they're going to enter into adulthood thinking that it's still all about them. And it's so important to realize that it's not all about them. Um, I, I don't um, get to... Um, play with the the sports as much anymore and with the kids but a few months ago actually it's probably about right as the pandemic was starting we went out to play i guess it was wiffle ball with with the youth and so they're all out there and i'm the really old guy out there and i'm pitching and guess who comes up to the plate brevin mccool <laughs> brevin mccool who is like just one of the, I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. I don't know where he got it from. I don't, I, mom or dad, I mean, it's just, he's a fantastic athlete. And so I'm like, he is just going to crush the ball. Like, and I'm pitcher, so I'm the first victim. I'm the one closest to this ball that's about to get hit. And I'm like, okay, I hope he knows that I'm old and my bones are brittle. And I take one hit from this ball and I'm going to just like dissolve the powder. And I, you know, I pitch the ball, and he just swings nice, and just kind of loops it up, and he just kind of jogs to first base, and I'm like, well, surely that's not how he plays anywhere else. And then the, the half inning was over, and so he gets to be pitcher, and like he can reach back and and get the the power of the sun and throw that ball forward. And I thought this is going to be a massacre because it was like the kids versus the adults. I think it was, and I was like, man, this is going to be ugly. And he had to be the most calm, chill person out there. And I just thought, he's going to be like swinging for the fences and he's going to be striking people out like he's going for the no-hitter. He could have had a no-hitter left-handed with clothes. But here he was just kind of, you know what? And I just, there's something in understanding that it's not always about us. And he could have been out there to showcase his skills to a bunch of old people and some sixth-grade girls who didn't know what end of the bat to hold. But it's so important for us to not care so much about what is ours and coveting what we want that we're willing to take away and hurt other people. And that's one of the things that, that Jesus was really concerned about. And He says, look, He's like, you've heard they said an eye for an eye. And then he starts to tell these crazy things. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, 
Turn to him the left as well. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And this is the point where every sensible preacher will step in and say, he didn't really mean that. Like, that's not really how you should live your life. Because we'll turn to our kids and say, if somebody hits you, you need to defend and fight back. And if somebody takes something from you, you sue them. You go after them. And here's Jesus saying, listen, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And I just, I love this. Because if people actually did this, I think it would absolutely change our society. Would there still be thieves? Yes. Would there still be abusers? Absolutely. Would there still be people who would be bullies? Yes. But how many of us could just absolutely shock and surprise people that when somebody does something hurtful or mean or unkind to us, that we return it with kindness. And I've, I've talked to kids about this a million times. I'm like, listen, if somebody does something bad to you and you, in anger, want to get revenge and you want to lash out at them, this is weird how this is going to happen. They started it, Right? And then, let's say you're on the football field, and somebody pushes you, right? And you get up and say, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to push them back. Okay, then in their mind, it's crazy how they do this. Their mind will go back in time. And they will decide that the reason why they pushed you first is because you're a terrible person who pushed them back. And you have then justified their actions. They can say, oh, I did that because he is a terrible person. And then they can, it, they can at least think to themselves, I was right in doing what I did. And if somebody pushes you and you show kindness to them, they can't say, well, I pushed him because he's mean and he's a jerk or she's terrible. Then they're left with saying, who pushed who? And at some point, your hope is that they become self-aware and that they can realize that it's not all about them. And that they have to live in community with others. And then he's going to close it out with uh, loving others. Uh, and now I'm ending up more in the Beatitudes than I am, or the Sermon on the Mount than I am in Exodus 20. So we're going to skip and go to one more section. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 21, and I promise we're going to close after this. It's one of my favorite stories. And Raul shared this with you um, several years ago. But um, I was uh, a teenager. And believe it or not, I was not as um, put together as that you believe that I am now. Um, as much as I'm crazy and weird and obnoxious and a mess now, like multiply that times 100 and that's me at like 17 years old. Like I was just off the walls. I still am, but, but a little bit lower than I used to be. So I can remember this one time. I had decided, and this is the style that time. 
I decided that I wanted an earring, right? Lynn looked at me and like, there's never a time in your life where you should want that. Okay, there was a time in my life, Lynn, when, when it was cool. You were in your 70s, but there was a time that it was cool, right? I know, because you're thinking, you know, the long hair and the earrings. Like, I just, I wanted an earring so bad. And this is, this is true. But we used to sing a song in church, or, or mainly at camp. <laughs> this is a true story. And it, it, the song is called Pierce My Ear. I literally, because at that time I wasn't old enough to get it done myself uh, or to go have it done. And I didn't know anybody at that time who was willing to, to, to um, pierce my ear for me. So I had to get permission to get it done. I, I remember being 17 and going to my mom and saying, I want to get my ear pierced. And she says, no, you don't need to get your pierced. Mom, it's so cool. You have no idea. You don't understand what it's like to be, in, be a teenager. Like, you don't understand peer pressures. Because she was hatched at, you know, mom age. And so I, I can, I, I actually made the argument. Mom, we sing about it at church. I honestly said that. I was like, yeah, mom, boom, there you go. Um, and then I, and then I really, I came across this verse. And all of a sudden, that song completely changed. And this was years later. But I came across this verse, and it completely changed what I thought about that song. And that turned out to be my most favorite song in the world. Listen to this. This is uh, Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. Okay, so um, God is, is giving out these uh, laws about Hebrew servants. Um, and he says this, he says, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, uh, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He will take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Okay, so this is basically what happened. They were um, slaves or servants for a, a, a certain amount of time, but then they could go free, right? And and we could talk all about that. We'll talk a little bit later on about the Day of Atonement and uh, and and when people were were set free. But but if you were set free, if you're supposed to serve so many years and you've served your sentence or your time, uh, or in some ways you could almost even consider it like a uh, uh, like a job, like your job was. To, to be there and and you work there it's a little bit different than some this our, our view of servanthood uh and, and as is the case here not all masters were mean and so I, they had this law hey like if you worked for this master and they were so good to you and they were such a good master that you couldn't imagine life being any better than that you could go to the judges and say okay i know i've been released from my time as a servant, but I want to keep this person as my master for life. The judge uh, will then take you to a, a door frame, okay? And they're going to take an awl, which the best thing I can say, if you don't know what an awl is, it looks basically what we would call an ice pick, right? It would have been a little more crude, uh, but it had a, a metal piece, sharp tip, and a, a piece of wood at the end. And then you were to take your ear, right? And you put it up against the doorpost, 
I have really tiny ears, so this would have been hard. So you put it up against there, and then you stick that all in there, and then you would take the hammer and drive it through, through the ear into the doorpost, and then you would pull it back out. And that would signify that you would remain a servant to that master forever. And this is where it is so beautiful. And I can remember talking to my kids in youth group, especially as they were getting ready to graduate. We would go to uh, Exodus 21 and talk about this and say, okay, you've spent your whole life like, like God has been your master. You know, you, you went to church, you went to youth group, you were involved in youth group activities, you went to camp, you sang the songs, like, and you were there, and now your time is up, you're free, you get to go. Mom and dad aren't following you off to school. They're not going to follow you off as you get an apartment or you go into the dorms and you're going to, you may be going to a Christian university or you may be going to a, a public school, like, but you're going to get to make these choices on your own. Like no longer are you going, you're going to youth group or church because you have to. Like you are free to go. But you have to decide. What do you want to do with your, the rest of your life? Like is... Is God worth following forever? And it's hard for kids to grasp this and they want to go out and, and figure it out on their own. But what I've found out in my life is that there is no better master to serve than God. Gracious and forgiving and loving and compassionate a God who disciplines and a God who forgives. Like, that's my God. I, there is money won't satisfy that. Nothing will satisfy like having God as your master. And I love Exodus 21 because it, it says to everybody, like, you, you get to choose. And some of you. You may have made it into your 20s or 30s. Some of you may still be coming because that's what mom and dad would want you to do. I do it because that's what I did as a kid and that's what I'm doing now. But I want you to think about, is there anyone better to serve than God? And be willing to say, I want to proclaim that He is the best pastor ever. Pierce my ear, O Lord my God, take me to the store your day, for I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to say, for you have paid the price for me, and with your blood you've set me free. And I will serve you eternally, a free man I'll never be. May you leave this place knowing that there is no better master to serve than Jesus Christ. And so we are going to stop with Exodus chapter 21. It is 10 minutes till 11. You have no excuse not to get to your place of eating on time uh, and, and continue to uh, honor your mother and enjoy Mother's Day. I want to close this out in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father God, again, I just I thank you for mothers. I thank you for my mother and the way she raised me and, and my two older brothers. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for my mom's mom and my dad's mom and 
the way that they raised them and that, that would pass on a legacy that I would grow up in a house that would talk about Jesus and who would model him uh, in the way that they, they lived and they acted. I'm especially thankful that one of the greatest blessings, gifts that you ever gave me was a, a faithful, loving spouse who is an amazing mother to our children. And I'm thankful for her. I pray that you be with her and all the other mothers who find themselves uh, in a bittersweet time of, of being thankful for their children, but also hurting that they're without their mother for another year. And so, Lord, I just I pray that, that you allow us to, uh, to both uh, grieve uh, and celebrate this day uh, and do it all for your glory. Thank you for being a God who, who would love us so much that you would create mothers to show us who you are. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.